Hey everybody, welcome to the looking. Welcome to the Lookening. Uh, my name is Nathan Al- Aaron. Is my middle name Albertson? Well, we got Brandon Scott Chastine. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing great, Nathan. That's good. <laughs> Just had a good dose of medicine. Yeah, <laughs> laughter the best. That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. Brandon actually just injected himself with a bunch of penicillin. Yep. Uh, and then we got Jacob Kyle Menzel, J.K. Menzel. How you doing, Jake? Good. And lest we forget. It is the fine month of hollow scream. So what I really should have said was, well, Brandon, he's the Brandon Chastfine, the scholar who's a baller of bleeding. Yep. And Jake is the pastor who's a master of bleeding. Yep. You are our humble and obedient ghost. Uh, I'm our humble and obedient ghost. And I promised last, we've, we've already started this episode with some bizarre laughter. I don't know where that came from, but... um. I promised the last episode that we would, for all of the Halloween month, October, we would compose a Halloween poem for the oh, folks. That's right. So here we go. All right. It was Halloween night. It's my turn? Yeah, we just go. Oh, one. okay. Yeah. It was Halloween night. And all through the house, no creature was stirring. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a mouse. <laughs> the jack-o'-lanterns were placed... Pawn, oh man, with only slits for ears. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Um, the house had been cased. For 5,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> By dead Sherlock's ghost. Who liked to pl- drink gin. He wasn't around. When our story begins. <laughs> <laughs> A story you'll hear. And tremble at, no doubt. But my darling, I fear. <laughs> you'll drown with the trout. <laughs> and then you won't have... A brain or an ear. <laughs> <laughs> the fish will eat them. And then you'll have, n- and you'll have nothing to fear. And that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Even better than last week. <laughs> All right. Well, this is not the bookening as we established up front. This is the lookening, which means we are going to discuss a film. Hmm. And the film we're going to discuss is the classic 1931 universal horror film and adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, a movie which The New Yorker said was only a moderate success and said, quote, the makeup department has a triumph to its credit in the monster, and there lies the thrill of the picture, but the general fantasy lacks the vitality which that little Mrs. P.B. Shelley 
was able to give to her work. Hmm. So there's the New Yorker, unquote. So there's the New Yorker. And there. who from the New Yorker said that? Uh, Mr. John Mosier. John Mosier. All right. Arguably a less famous person than Mrs. P.B. Shelley. I think that's true. Less famous. And a bit of a misogynist to refer to her as Mrs. P.B. Shelley. Yeah. Does your wife, do you make her go by Mrs. B.S. Chastine? Yeah, of course. I do. Okay. <laughs> do you, does your wife generally go by Mrs. J.K. Menzel? Except for when she's going by Commander Daddy. She just goes by Commander Daddy? You're Commander Daddy. Mrs. Commander Daddy. Mrs. Commander Daddy? Uh, Mrs. Jake. Daddy? I'm sorry, of Jake. I wasn't quite paying full attention there. Of Jake. Of Jake, yeah. Right. She calls you Commander Daddy, That's right. obviously. Obviously. Commander well, that's what she call me. Commander Daddy, sir. Yeah. All right, so we're going to discuss a movie based on, as the New Yorker said, Mrs. P.B. Shelley's, Percy Bish, Mrs. Percy Bish, Bish, we ever find out how to say that? No. Mrs. Percy Bish Shelley's uh, Frankenstein, so I guess, oh, there goes the context ghost. Oh, I guess there's a context ghost. But it passed right through me this time. Yeah, it passed right through you, and it landed on me, and now it's massaging my shoulders and telling me that I need to give us some much-needed context that, for this work. Make that pottery. Give us some context, Nathan. Well, the context is that this was the second big horror movie ever to have been made. Certainly the second horror talkie. You can go back to the old era and you can find the fan of the opera and some stuff like that. There are some silent, great silent horror films. But the first talkie horror film was Todd Browning's Dracula, which stars Bela Lugosi or Bela Lugosi, however you say that. We will be talking about that over on Sound of Sanity, actually, and not maybe even this week. I'm not sure. It's it's always hard. Yeah, it'll depend. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. It's it's always hard to predict how these things are going to schedule themselves out. But Carl Lemley Jr., the head of production at Universal, was a big fan of the horror genre. His dad, Carl Lemley Sr., was not a big fan, but he just said, we got to do some of these some of these horror things. And so they did Dracula. It was a big success. They offered Frankenstein to Bela Lugosi, who had a big hit playing Dracula. He turned it down, which was a huge mistake because he just thought, you know, I'm already, I played Dracula who's suave and wears a cape and is awesome and is a great monster. I don't want to play a grunting Frankenstein, but biggest mistake of his career because Frankenstein ended up featuring the great Boris Karloff, who went on to become a much more famous and well-paid actor than Bela Lugosi ever was. They were kind of both the titans of the titans of terror back then. I enjoy the fact that in the credits, I think it just says monster question mark or something. In the opening credits, it does. In the closing credits, it It gives gives Boris Karloff. Yeah, but I think it just says, in the closing credits, I think it just calls him Karloff, which is how they build him at that time. Oh, Um, I don't remember that specifically watching it. But Boris Karloff, very, uh, I don't know what all people want to know about this movie. Probably they don't need to know a whole heck of a lot. But Boris Karloff was a very genteel Britishman. He has a lisp. He had a, a cleft palate or something like that, which meant that he had a plate that he could take out, um, which in the first Frankenstein movie he did remove because he didn't have to speak. So he took out his mouth plate and then that gives his, his cheeks the, that really sunken cadaver-like look which is not something that, I mean, he was just 
blessed i guess with that ability to be able to do that and let his i wondered about that yeah i didn't know that it's a weird thing and if you watch bride of frankenstein he has to talk in that movie which meant he had to wear his plate which means he actually has a much more fuller faced look i noticed yeah in that movie but he's a very genteel nice guy and didn't mean to get associated i think uh james whale who directed the movie just saw him and said oh this guy's got a great body for the part and he's a fantastic at pantomime he's he's great at you see it a little bit more in bride of frankenstein which we're not reviewing today but in that one he's just really good at indicating or or the the classic scene that everybody loves which was cut out of many of the original releases of this movie is uh the one where he plays the pedal game with the girl and then throws Mm -hmm. her in the water he's really good at communicating he he brings more sympathy 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 to the monster i think than just with his body language and his facial expressions than i would say mrs pb Shelley was able to capture in her novel would be my judgment. Famous things about this movie, the makeup is famous. The makeup was super arduous to do because Jack Pierce, he was the makeup guy at Universal at this time. And what he would do, like today, if they're doing makeup, they will do these, you've probably seen behind the scenes stuff where they do plaster casts and then they make a mold and then they have like a whole, they have these large prosthetic pieces that they can glue on to people. That's not how they, they they hadn't developed that technology back then, which meant every day Karloff would show up and this guy would just painstakingly kind of paint and glue piece by piece just without large pieces but he would just he would just create a work of art on his face every day which was an incredibly painful process and by the time they got to son of frankenstein and house of frankenstein and some of the later sequels they actually found a way jack pierce who was a genius who created that iconic monster look got fired because nobody actually liked to sit there and let him just do his like he would just make you sit there for three four or five hours while he would just glue and draw and do little things on your face so really arduous and they eventually replaced that with basically latex masks which is the kind of technology that they use today which are much easier you know you could still spend a couple hours in the makeup chair but they'll apply it in big pieces instead of kind of crafting it new building it onto your face building it on your face so it was a really hard but it is a super iconic makeup job that's probably the most famous i mean i think i think universal i don't know if their patent has lapsed on that but you see like monster squad or you see frankenberry cereal or when people think frankenstein they think flat the monsters they think flat top bolt through the neck they think think the big feet they think about this this look Peggy Webling. It was a British playwright and novelist from, she was born in the 1800s, lived through about 1950. She wrote, in 1927, she wrote a play version of Frankenstein. She was the first person to name the creature Frankenstein. So in her play version, the the creature is just called Frankenstein. I think the doctor exists in that play version and is also called Frankenstein, actually. But this was because there had been a very famous play adaptation of Dracula, which Dracula owes a lot of its success to, and which... I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I've actually seen, and it's really fun. It's a really fun stage. You can see a good version of it, and if they do it with all the special effects, it's made to have Dracula, you know, there's parts where he disappears and creeps through the mist and stuff. So it's just like, it's a really fun production to see if it's if it's mounted well. I remember in the version I saw, there's 
there's a part where Dracula, you know, he says, ah, Van Helsing, you must fear, you know, he gives a big speech and then suddenly there's a clap of thunder and he disappears. And the stage version was expertly done. Like, I don't know, I to this day don't know how they did it because what what it looked like was that this actor was just standing there and then suddenly he was gone and his cape floated to the ground and it was really really cool i don't know how they do stagecraft i don't want to know i don't look up how they do these things i don't look up magic tricks either because i think it's more fun not to know but there's this really famous version of dracula which is what the bela lugosi movie was based on and then peggy webling based on that stage production of dracula which was touring before the movie had even come out they said we need to get a stage production of frankenstein because that's the other big horror property that everybody kind of knows and so they did this stage production and that's what this movie is based on and so you'll notice that the movie has nothing to do with the book it's about a guy called henry frankenstein and his buddy victor and his girlfriend is mary probably or i don't remember what her name was elizabeth Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah yeah it's just this very streamlined kind of little story that doesn't have a lot to do i mean it it basically hits the major beats of the book i guess but frankenstein actually creates life yeah he does create he life. He was a student at school who dropped out to work on his work. Mm-hmm. And he has a family. Right. And a girl that he wants to marry. Right. Frankenstein, uh, the monster shows up in a bedroom where the girl is. Those are the details that it gets right, right. with the book. But everything else is just- It's a different story. Classic yeah. kind of Hollywood melodramas type yep. stuff. Yeah. Why the- they changed- Victor Frankenstein's name to Henry and changed his friend's name from Henry to Victor was is weird. Yeah, I don't know. Probably, if I had to guess, I'd say some middle management Hollywood executive said so it'll play better in Middle America relatable. if he's got yeah. a relatable name. Yeah. And, Although, and, I mean, I don't know. My great uncle's name was Victor and he fought in World War II and would have been Victor around the time of this, but whatever. Yeah. Well, those Universal movies are really weird because they all kind of take place in this weird, I don't even know if, do they say where the movie's taking place? It's kind of like you got these villagers, which Mel Brooks famously and rather brilliantly spoofs these weird Eastern European kind of villagers in Yeah, they make it Germanic. They give them lederhosen and they have a Burgomeister, which the German name for mayor is Burgermeister. Yeah, but then it's Henry Frankenstein and he's a very British actor playing him and and his friends are British. And the Baron, his dad, is as British of an old man as you could want. Right. And all, all those Universal movies kind of take place in a world that only exists in Universal horror movies it's kind of vaguely german vaguely uh european generally combines like those movies will be weird in that they'll have cars and stuff but then when they need a torch wielding mob they'll just just show up walking with torches or so those books they're really kind of horses they're, they're generally they're sort of modernizing the books where they need to but then acting like it's still set back in the time where they need to it's really unclear and very expressionistic and kind of ridiculous and we'll talk more about this but it's all very obviously stage bound which i like i think it's cool i think it adds a fairy tale quality to it when done well it's kind of fun yeah, yeah everything's very clearly on a backdrop you know yeah you that, can see like the the sky so is not a real like, sky it's yeah, a painted, it's painted yeah clouds and- so it's interesting the director of this movie is named james whale ian mckellen played him in a movie called gods and monsters which is based on the line from bride and frankenstein where dr pretorius uh, says to a new world of god and gods and monsters i would not necessarily recommend that people watch that movie 
because I think it's got a lot of gay stuff, as I recall. And that's because James Whale was very famously a homosexual and very openly a homosexual, actually. Like most people just kind of knew about it and he didn't suffer a lot of people being unhappy with it. He lived openly in Britain as a theater director, as a gay man. And then, I mean, he didn't make a point of rubbing people's noses in it, but he was one of the more open gay people in the entertainment industry that you'll find from that era. He had a partner that he lived with for most of his life. Yeah, was, Pretorius is pretty gay. Yeah, well, Bride of Frankenstein, which we're not going to talk as much about today. We're focusing on the original. But Bride of Frankenstein is a camp classic, and it's hilarious. And once you, you, you don't really, the first time you watch it, maybe realize how funny and how ridiculous and how at odds with the material it is because you just kind of you're, you're watching a super a movie you know that's 70 years old or something you're not you're, you're, your brain doesn't want to process it that way but I, I watched it back to back with the first one which is relatively straight for lack of the a better the first one's played straight and the second one's played ridiculously and I was having a hard time also I was very tired and falling asleep yeah well, I, I love the second one. I don't support homosexuality, obviously, if people have never listened to this podcast before. But it's fun. The second one is just campy and ridiculous. And there's that weird scene where Dr. Pretorius has the little lab full of jars, jars full of little miniature human beings. The He's king got like, and the queen and the ballerina. And yeah. The... He's figured out how to grow people organically, but he can't make a full size human being out of uh, dead materials is like he's like if we combine our forces we can create something really beautiful and perfect because i can grow organic people but i can't make them big but you can take dead people and you can make them alive so if by our powers combined it makes sense yeah oh it's a weird movie and you can tell that whale he did three horror movies they're all classics frankenstein old dark house and oh four i should say frankenstein old dark house the invisible man and Bride of Frankenstein. Frankenstein is relatively played straight. The other three are all pretty sarcastic and goofy. And I think invented camp, basically. He was a man that, I don't know, it's always like like we talked about in our Raymond Chandler episodes. I enjoy when someone can take a genre piece something that should essentially that has to hit certain beats and then they can infuse it with their own personality and their own wit and their own and that's who james whale is he's this guy that really doesn't care that much about the horror genre or about the studio system but he's coming into it and he's bringing his own bizarre in this case kind of gay frankly sensibility to the whole thing and he was a theater director in britain he fought in world war one I, I think was in a concentration camp or something in world war one was it was in a prisoner of war camp in germany so he'd seen his he'd, he'd lived a share of life and then he became a theater director and then sound came into hollywood in the late 20s early 30s and they were just looking for people that knew how to handle dialogue uh, it's like if anyone's ever seen singing in the rain there's the whole <clears throat> dilemma where all this whole system gets uprooted and the people you know there's or whatever she's named and singing in the rain who's this awful she has a terrible voice yeah who has a terrible a famous... voice silent film actress because she's pretty right exactly and she's not going to last into this so everyone everything was uprooted people lost their jobs they needed to bring in talent that knew how to handle dialogue so james whale was a, a theater director who had done well so they imported him to america to direct movies and i think you can really see again you know he's got that campy sensibility but he's also just very theatrical in the way that he uses shadows and the way that he paints his sets and the way that he designs mm -hmm. these i mean the, the most famous moment from any of those movies is probably the camera kind of zooming in on Frankenstein as he says it's alive it's alive, it's alive. alive. and 
who but a theater director would stage that that way and have the gall to have him say that line and have him say it that dramatically. And now I know what it's like to be God. That line was cut. The other interesting thing about Frankenstein that people might not understand is that it was incredibly subversive, incredibly violent, incredibly morbid. For the time, people were terrified of this thing. And there's just no way to, there's just no way to put yourself back in that mindset. It just, there's no, I think you could probably, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe your kids would be, maybe the really young ones would be scared by this thing. I don't know. But I don't, it just, it does not have the power. It just simply does not have the power that it did. Mm -hmm. People considered this thing to be, they added that dumb beginning where where the guy comes out and he gives a little. He's standing in front of the curtain and he's like, you know, we warned you. Right. They added that because that that actually wasn't part of, if, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't have this right in front of me, but I don't think that was part of the original movie. I think they added that because, you know, they needed something to kind of mitigate the tension that people were feeling about this movie. Um, because people just hadn't seen things like that before. Reanimated corpses. This was all really, really scary stuff. I mean, it's just like now we see Frankenstein, we see him on breakfast. It's just been, it's saturated and there's just... Even a little kid knows these things as kind of pop icons in a way that depletes them of their power pretty quickly. But this was this was powerful, scary stuff. And so you have to, and even Bride of, even the campier ones like Bride of Frankenstein, people wouldn't have thought of it as being a camp classic at the time. They would have mostly just, James Whale really was being pretty subversive in those later movies because they would have played as straight horror films at the time. But now, with the benefit of hindsight and history, we can see how ridiculous and how sort of at a weird, odd, sarcastic angle he is to the material. But yeah, this is a scary movie and it suffered a lot of censorship problems. The way censorship worked back then is different states and different communities, even different cities would be able to censor the movie and cut things out that they didn't like. So the scene where he says, now I know what it's like to be God was cut out in most places. Um, the scene where the little girl gets thrown into the water would have been cut i don't know how they even made that scene play i think they cut the whole second half like i think you just they, they just made it pathetic like he just plays the pedal game and then there's no payoff hmm. in certain territory like if hmm. you so if you saw it in one territory and then you went and saw it in a different territory you know in a different state you might see something uh, did anybody different. get the uncensored version yeah what we're see what we see today <laughs> is the uncensored version basically because we got lucky because they would actually like these days if a movie has to be censored, let's say the MPAA, let's say Brandon makes a movie and it's too gory and they say, we're going to give this a NC-17, you need to cut it back. Brandon will, just as a matter of course, keep all the original footage, keep his director's cut. It will exist. (laughs) And then it'll be sold at a premium. Right. And well, and Brandon also is doing everything digitally. What they would have done is cut things on film, very arduous process of actually cutting a physical medium called film. Later on, as film preservation and director's cut and art, artist vision became a thing, they would not cut the original negative. The director would make his cut. That would be the original negative. And then there would be copies of that that they would cut for the censors. But back, they didn't have any idea of posterity or anything like that. They weren't thinking of these as artistic classics. They didn't realize this movie would be something that people would want to watch 100 years later. So they would just cut the original negative. So for a long time, we actually did think that some of that stuff was lost. The the moment where he says, now I know what it's like to feel to be God was only restored, I think, in the 90s or 2000s. They finally found 
on the audio. For a while, you could see it with really garbled audio that just came from some some bad version that somebody had found, and then they finally got the right audio. But it's always kind of takes some detective work and some That's scholarship cool. and some to to find and piece together these old movies because they would just cut this stuff out. Oh, what I what I should have made clear actually is that the original version before the censorship code came around did actually have more because what they would do with these movies because there wasn't home video there wasn't cable there wasn't anything like that they would reissue issue them every couple of years and censorship standards in the late 30s became much more strict so this movie actually had more things cut out of it as it was shown again and and another funny irony of history just weird thing about old, really really old movies movies that are 70 or 80 or 100 years old is that the ones that no one cares about are generally in pristine condition because they didn't reissue them you know so if there's a dumb movie that you haven't heard of you can probably somewhere in a vault there's a very clean version but you watch something like frankenstein it's going to have a lot of dirt and scratches and stuff on it and if not it's because they've spent you know millions of dollars doing a really amazing physical and then digital restoration these movies were reissued and they weren't cared for well and so there's a lot of wear and tear so yeah did anybody at the time get to see the actual uncut version yeah some people well like i said there would have been different territories that would have like new york city yeah if you were in a cool hip town you might have been able to see but there was one territory i forget where it was i want to say nebraska where the movie was cut in half like it was literally half as long as the original version because they just cut out so much of that horrible um subversive awful bloody material that you probably had brandon had to watch through your fingers because you were so scared i was terrified while you were watching anytime i had to see somebody's feet hanging and yeah twice calling jake saying how scared i was right yeah well it's funny i mean i don't mean to make fun of them maybe we're the ones that are terrible you know because we're so desensitized yeah you know i'm not trying to be hipper than people from (laughs) 100 years ago or the walking dead yeah we've got the walking we've seen things that one of the interesting things about this movie Mm -hmm. that the book captures fairly well but that i think is an interesting talking point from the book is uh how profane science actually can be, mm-hmm. especially when it's dealing with human bodies. And I remember having a discussion about this. It, I don't know if you remember this. We had it with uh, a medical student a long time ago when we were doing the grad student reading. We were talking about how they were going and they were looking at cadavers and how they were doing things with cadavers and how dissecting this was just, human remains. Yeah, these were just matter of fact. I'm like, this is actually, this is kind of profane. This Does this not bother you? Yeah. And, and it didn't. Re- and the response, but yeah, the response was, oh no, this is beautiful and wonderful. And, and our whole thing, my whole thing was like, unless there is some part of you that finds this disturbing. Yeah. I remember it was, you were there. We were all disturbed by this conversation that was happening because I felt that there's something and you understand the utilitarian aspect of it. All those arguments that people make nowadays. Yeah. But, it, but and, and I, there's a, there's a, Obvious and certain, I mean, there's a certain degree to which I'm happy to make allowances for that sort of thing. But unless you feel a certain sense of horror yes, <clears throat> about what you're doing, you don't belong in that field, in my opinion. Yeah. It's just... I agree. You've been desensitized. So back to the point there, yes. And to, and to go so far as to yeah. call it as certain med students that I've had have gone as to just think it was, it's wonderful and a joy and delightful and the thing they look most forward to is this is something perverse about that yeah to be able to cut this body open and look at its organs these things you were never supposed to see and that's a part of death and yeah they're it's hidden. that augustine quote that i quote all the time or reference all the time rather the, the lust of the eyes yes 
the desire to look into things that are not yours to see. Mm-hmm. And unless you approach that with respect and a knowledge, an understanding of how this shouldn't be, right? Mm-hmm. That's connection to death, it's connection to the unnaturalness of life. And, we're not saying people shouldn't be scientists, blah, <laughs> no, blah, blah, blah. Nuance, the connection nuance, to the unnaturalness yeah. of death. Death is unnatural. But our day and age, we have glorified science so much that the original prof- So this, back to your point, mm-hmm. are we to a point now where we're desensitized? Yeah, and that's what I liked about the book, but I saw also in the movie in the scene where they had the um, laboratory and the science, it was like this cold white room, mm-hmm. but there just felt something weird and off and eerie about it. Yeah. I think back then they understood that it's like original vivisection was seen as um, wicked. When, and guys like Descartes yeah. had to battle and battle, and finally they won because, you know, progressive science. But progressive science has always been, and there's a reason it's always been tied to witchcraft and alchemy in the imaginations of a lot of people, is because there is an element of the profane about it and what they, they're looking into knowledge that we shouldn't have. They're looking into knowledge we wouldn't have had the fall never happened. Mm-hmm. So, or yeah, I mean, why would we ever, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, and then, so there's this element of, I keep saying profaneness, but mm-hmm. that's what it is, yeah. that we've lost. And I think it's interesting that, and sad that we have lost that. And I was watching this movie, I'm like, yeah, I wish I could get that back. I wish I could yeah. feel that again, what these people are feeling about these cadavers and the horror of this creature. Well, the one thing about The Walking Dead, I've never actually watched The Walking Dead, but I certainly went through my zombie phase. There's nothing particularly eerie about The Walking Dead, and it's not supposed to be. It's an action, adventure, horror, gory, exciting, existential. There's all kinds of things that you could say about that kind of a show, but you're not supposed to feel a kind of transgressive you know what I mean? Like it's sure it's transgressive because it's gory, but it's not the show doesn't purposely attach it to itself a kind of There's a reason why Frank why Frankenstein opens with a scene establishing not Victor but Henry. Mm-hmm. Establishing Frankenstein as a grave robber. Right. It's meant to establish him as a profane person. Well in yeah. the movie I think the movie for all its quaintness by today's standards, yeah, I, right. I I think the movie actually to me gives me a little bit more of the feeling of all of that stuff than the book ever did. Yeah, because the problem with the book is the book hides behind its... It doesn't hide behind it. It's The book is so full of its philosophy mm-hmm. that it loses the impact of just the, what the story could have done for us. And of its letter within a letter, just the whole yeah. Jake's favorite epistolatory form. And I'm with Jake yeah. there. I think the epistolary form there really hampers that novel mm-hmm. because it could have had the impact that this movie had. And as cheesy and corny as the movie was at times, mm-hmm. it got these major, the major message uh, that Frankenstein has that's, I think, worth us today thinking about, right? the unnaturalness of our science and the way that we've just are okay with it mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. perverse it can be and how cost of knowledge, all these things that we don't even think about anymore, or at least they don't bother us, even to the point where Christians are just completely okay with it. Yeah. Right. And I know that's a lot of a certain, I mean, I know certain Christians handle this with discernment and wisdom. Oh, sure. We've got, uh, we have an elder here who's a doctor at our church mm-hmm. and he speaks a lot about death and the burden that is on a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. That responsibility. Mm-hmm. So you can reclaim that through Christianity, but you certainly have to think about where our society is and our culture is. Frankenstein gives us the opportunity to do that. And the movie was, so the one scene that really got me was where the father's carrying, he just has this stunned look on his face mm-hmm. and the limp girl in his arms as he's carrying his daughter through yeah. this. And they have the wedding that's playing. It goes on and on. Yeah, it just stretches on forever. But there's this wedding. It's just really just cheerful wedding. It's like this Bavarian thing. Mm-hmm. Now that you mention it, yeah, where did it come from? <laughs> They're all dressed in lederhosen. Right. <laughs> but the horror of him carrying this body 
body yeah. through this cheerful place. Again, it's this entrance of the profane and what you're not supposed to look at, what's supposed to remain hidden. And to that point, I mean, our culture now, everything, all fluids, all bodily functions are no longer hidden, right? Things that are supposed to either be secret and sacred, we all look at, mm-hmm. or things that are supposed to be horrible and secret in the other way are also, we all look at. So mm-hmm. there's nothing hidden and secret anymore. Yeah. You nailed it. There we go. Yep. Good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to articulate a thought. I'm not sure how to say it. I, I think... This is going to sound like an incredibly cheap reaction. Well, I just keep thinking about the contrast between this and something like The Walking Dead, which, you know, this just, you just need to hear like a groan in the other room with some shadows and you're like, and you sort of, in as quaint of a way as it does it, you sort of feel the the violation of God's law, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and the profanity of that and the the power of that. You know, this actually taps into some, it doesn't really make you feel it all that strongly because like I said, you've seen this character on cereal boxes your whole life, but in some small way, you feel a connection to the insipid numinousness of, no, that's not, what, what, what word do I want? You feel that otherness, that horror of trans, that transgressiveness. When so, you don't look at it directly? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this movie touches on something, to me, this movie, as quaint as it is, and it is very quaint, it feels like it's messing with something transgressive, whereas the word transgressive would never even occur it, to me with something like The Walking Dead because it's just boring and gory and horrific. You gore know is not trans- transgressive to you, but this is psychologically transgressive. Yeah, so, I mean, there's the, and, uh, Walking Dead is transgressive insofar as you don't like Frankenstein is trying to be God. Right. He's trying to transcend... He is the modern Prometheus. And the movie actually includes the moment where they encapsulate it in a way the book never, where he just says, now I know what it feels like to be God. The actor doesn't perform it like anyone would actually, he's he's not giving a naturalistic performance. You have to get used to, I guess we can talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, we will. I will want to bring that up. Yeah. Do you want to do it now? Yeah, let's just talk about that. But I also want to get back to the, yeah, well, I have something to say about that, but let's wrap up. Let's wrap up the first thing first. So, well, one, I think I may have mentioned this before, but one thing my granddad used to tell my dad Mm -hmm. was that he doesn't understand why modern movies have to show a man's death by blowing up his chest. Back in the old days, you would shoot a gun and the guy would grab his chest and he would fall down and you would know he's dead, right? What's the point? You still understand the character's dead. But with, I think what he was trying to say is what we were saying earlier. Within modern movies, you're seeing things that you're not supposed to see, right? They don't add anything other than the um, lust of the eyes. They just feed the lust of the eyes. Well, our pastor always likes to say, Pastor Bailey, people have, maybe if they don't go to our church, they've heard him on The World We Made and stuff. He likes to talk about Saving Private Ryan and the fact that when everybody went and saw that movie, they said, we want to know what it was like to be there on D-Day. And he was like, he was offended by that. He was like, no, you don't. You shouldn't. Like the whole point of your great grandfather or your grandfather going and fighting on D-Day was to protect you from ever having to know what it was like. And then this mad Frankenstein, Steven Spielberg is going to show you what it was like yes. and put you there. What a ugly thing and to do. E- and the net effect of that is going to be that you're horrified at the sacrifice that your grandfather made. And that you see no heroism in it and no joy of battle. No, nothing like that. No, it's just like it was all ugly and suddenly you understand. And then you turn around and then you apply your your feelings as a non-heroic, non-combatant to modern so- soldiers and make them feel all uh, the weight of all you have to feel about saving private Ryan. Right. Because you, yeah. 
Yeah, because what happens is seeing those sorts of things, they both deaden you, and they also um, what the they feed the lust of the eyes, and they just sort of I want to say innervates, but that's a stupid word. They weaken you. They weaken you. They take all your manliness. They Mm -hmm. take your willing to do anything, willingness to do anything. And so, um, what I've been thinking about are are these people who we harp on these guys a lot. They say that the reason they want to see grit is to really understand sin. But all all that does is it makes you in that moment. It's like bad catharsis. You think that you're feeling all your sin there. Mm -hmm. So then probably what happens is, or I know what happens, they just go out and they sin freely because it's made them lust. They've seen the sin. Now they want to go out and they want to sin, but Mm -hmm. they think that they've really understand it, right? Right. Or it weakens them and makes them just into insipid numinous. Right. <laughs> what was the third word? Uh, it was, the third word was very obvious and it was one it was that... Pl- it was much more common and Well, it was one that we had already been using in reference, like it was the word that actually got us into the discussion, whatever it was, I forget. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the kind of guys that are, they are insipid and numinous mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. And I don't. I, I'm trying to work it out in my head. I'm. Just, I haven't quite put my finger on it. But what it quite what it does to you. Um, I don't know if it feeds your lust and therefore makes you want to do sin even more, or if it just deadens you to want to do any sort of manly action afterwards. And what? It, but something happens, and it's not good. It's like stuffing your face with empty calories. You're suddenly yeah. lethargic, and you're full up on something that didn't actually provide any nutrition, but gave you the feeling mm-hmm. of eating. I don't know. I know what you're getting at. I don't know quite how to work. I think that's actually it. helpful because when you are a glutton, but you're thinking like you're eating really good food and so you've eaten a whole lot of it, you're certainly not going to feel like you can fight your sin easier after that, mm-hmm. right? You're going to not be, you're going to be less and in, more inhibited. Is that the right way of saying it? Uh, more inhibited. Yeah, that's what you want, I think. Yeah. Or no, less inhibited. Less inhibited. Yeah, you're you're right. going to be less inhibited. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not sure what all to say about this topic, but the horror genre to me is fascinating because the horror genre, I don't know exactly how this ties into everything we've been talking about, but a genre that it is essentially a conservative genre. I'm not the first person by any stretch of the imagination to make this point. Every horror story is about the fact that you actually shouldn't transgress the forbidden or something very terrible will happen to you. It's not, I mean, it's called the horror genre because it's horrific, because it's bad, because if you, you shouldn't want to go there. Because judgment's at the center of it. Right. Yeah. The whole idea is don't go there. And yet the whole, it's this weird genre where the whole idea is like, cover your eyes, but Look through your fingers because yeah. you you know you really want to see. There's you see that, but the, the issue I'm trying to tease out here is the fact that Frankenstein from 1931 I could see being helpful for someone, mm-hmm. but like then you got the guys with Cheeto dust on their shirt watching The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. and where's the difference? Like, is it just our culture, or is the Walking Dead actually producing this sort of person too? I don't. Know. I don't. I don't know if the sort of transgression that someone would get from like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, famously. Well, so you say. You, I mean. Part of, I think, I don't want to say the answer, but maybe the answer lies in the tension between Nathan saying it's essentially conservative because it's a morality tale of judgment for when you, you know... Transgress. When you transgress. Yep. But the whole point is to provide you catharsis for the guilt that you carry, for the transgressions that you have, mm-hmm. right? So on the one hand, it's a morality tale. On the other hand, it's a way for you to cope with your guilt. 
while still remaining in it. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. Not, I'm not <laughs> saying it can't be used to be more of a mor- cautionary or morality tale on one side mm-hmm. and more of a just a way of coping on the other. I know well, that dif- yeah. in the hands of different storytellers and directors, it accomplishes different things, but that's that's how it's used. Right. The way that you... The way that, you know, Cheeto's Dust guy uses horror is as a way to feel like he's coped with, it's a way to cope with his guilt and abiding sense of judgment. It's a way to deaden himself to it. It's a way to, to feel like he's faced himself, like he's faced sin, like he's faced the horror of reality or the Mm -hmm. horror of the judgment of God that's hanging over his head. And it's a coward's move in that sense. Mm -hmm. It's what Flannery O'Connor would hate and keeps beating her head against. Right. But then we'll talk about this when we talk about Flannery O'Connor. She also sort of traffics in it. She produces it. She provides that catharsis that makes you feel really good because you've stared, you've looked into the abyss. It's perfectly Roman Catholic the way that she does it. Right. It's a right. It's a right. That's right. It's a right. That's Mm -hmm. right. And the great horror movies are all rights. And um, I saw a horror movie once where the audience was unhappy by the end and there was a girl that was crying in her boyfriend's arms in the parking lot afterwards and she was just uh she wasn't happy because it had just gone too far it had done it had it's weird it had violated her sense of trust well yeah it's like she had trusted that she was going to get a little bit of catharsis and it actually touched her right and it, it, it actually transgressed it's like we want what we actually want is for these movies and these stories to do a dance with us where they transgress just just, a, just a little bit they put a toe over the line let us go with them but don't take us too far and anytime there's been something that's broke like night of the living dead is the classics example it came out in i want to say 69 or early 70s and it was just it was horrifying and it was mean-spirited and it was awful in a way that the kids that were just went to, you know, parents would drop their kids off so that they could see a movie about a guy in a castle, you know, a, a spooky horror movie, you know, 1950s dreck. Yeah. And suddenly they were seeing something that was like real and tapping into real fears and tapping into real desires and tapping into transgressing. It's like when you go and see something like this, you, it makes a deal with you that it's only going to take you so far and, and the really nasty people will take you much farther. They'll surprise you. Um, and there's a certain kind of really deadened Cheeto eater that wants that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's pretty, that's where it starts to get a little scary and gross. Like how... Almost satanic. Almost satanic. Like how yeah. how dead and gross. And I've been there. Yeah. Everybody that listens <clears throat> to the book and knows I was this guy. Well, it helps with the coping and the sin and the feelings and even Flannery O'Connor. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Read on her in her biggest well, if problem. If you have any, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Well, yeah, go ahead. If you have any sense of your own sinfulness and any fear about the coming judgment and a desire to have control, then there's no reason why you wouldn't plunge headlong into the darkest of dark. Yeah. The darkest that there is to offer in the horror genre. Well, because it's it at that point it's just like it's control, right? It's it's control, it's catharsis, and it's some sense of like if I can steal myself somehow. Yeah, I think it's that feeling. I mean, I don't know. Have you guys ever actually seen sat in a movie theater and just been had an unpleasant experience where you're just like this is so scary i don't i don't enjoy this have you ever actually had that experience yeah. before i remember watching a horror movie once that i just felt violated by there's no pleasure i felt that way with rosemary's baby watching it the first time well those well, those the are the only time i've seen it yeah. those are good examples um 
I've I've been in that situation maybe two or three times in my life where I've actually seen something that's really scared me. You can say you can talk about guilt, you can talk about catharsis, you can talk about those things. I'm not sure how all that plays into it. I don't disagree with anything that Jake or you Brandon have been saying about it. I think you're right about everything you've said, but on a very basic level, it does just feel like an adrenaline rush and an achievement. Like I looked yeah. I looked at this horrifying thing in the face you know i looked cancer in the face i looked think of the most terrifying thing you know i looked my child's death in the face Mm -hmm. and then after two hours i walked out into the sunshine and i made it and i was still okay and everything was good and it's 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 a really great rush Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not well, recommending it. I'm I'm describing something that may may well be wicked. That's what I was actually about to get at with my point there. As I was saying, so the um, catharsis stuff helps because I do think the other side is the feeling of, and this helps too because I think it is an adrenaline adrenaline rush. It's a feeling of pleasure, mm-hmm. and I do think that's the other problem with the way that like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, these things have added the layer that they've added that Frankenstein didn't have is the pleasure we feel in seeing gore and right. seeing blood and violence. Yeah. Well, like, it, the, oh man, that was, did that really just happen? Like there's the famous scene in The Walking Dead where they like drop a zombie down a well and he like explodes, mm-hmm. right? And you're supposed, it's the gross out factor that we actually take a perverse pleasure in. Yeah. And there's no way around it. That's wicked. Yeah, it's just bloodlust. I mean, yeah. If 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 people, I think a lot of people, especially young men, just don't realize that that's a category of sin. So they're just kind of like, well, I'm enjoying. I mean, I don't know. There's all kinds of ways you can justify it. But what you should realize is that there's a category of feelings that you can have, which is called bloodlust, and it's just enjoying that. It's just watching someone get hurt or have gory things happen to them, watch the bodies being broken open, watching blood and enjoying it. And I think every man in particular has has that capability. It's the guy in early Genesis, what's his name, Lamech, who says, you know, yeah. is it? Uh, oh, Lamech, yeah. Lamech, yeah. He's just like. I've killed a man. I've killed a man. I've And then I've killed another man. It's just like, hey. I mean, that's a very striking, that's always been a striking story for me because it's just like, there's nothing interesting about the story except. How sort of nonchalant he is about. I killed somebody and it was awesome. You know, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I enjoy some horror stories. I think that they can be good. I think there's a line. I don't know how to tell people where the line is. I think you watch something like the old Frankenstein. And it's not just that people were more sensitive then and they're less sensitive now. I think the movie's honestly not transgressing certain things. I mean, it's just not showing. It's like that movie actually does make a gentleman's bargain with you that we're going to pull the veil back a little bit on life and death and transcendence and horror. But ultimately, we're going to close that curtain in your face and say, you should look at this. It's bad. That's the melodrama that we're telling. And I think there, as there is for every kind of story, there's a place for that story to be told. But there's a line. And I I don't know how to begin to tell people where that line is. I think it's kind of, I don't think I have to. I think it's actually, if you have a conscience, pretty easy to know where that line is. Just don't watch bad horror movies. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say Frankenstein is one of them. Yeah. I, I was surprised that, that they didn't unveil the monster on the table. Right. Yeah. Well, it would have been scary enough for people back then just to contemplate what was under that sheet and to see all the medical equipment. I mean, there's so much stuff that's like, like now you watch any children's children's program and that you they do their Halloween episode and there'll be lightning devices in the background. That stuff's just so cliche and so phony and you can buy 
you can go to Kmart right now as we record this, Kmart or Walmart, you can go and you can buy. Probably can't go to Kmart. Because they don't exist. Actually, they don't exist yeah. anymore. Really. There's a Halloween city in Kmart right now, though. Yeah. Where the where old, Kmart old Kmart used to be. Used to be? Yeah. yeah. So you can go to Halloween city and you can buy the apparatus to create something even cooler probably than what they had in that movie. But for people then, it's like they're seeing cutting edge. For all we know, if you're going to reanimate a cadaver, this is what it would look like. So I don't know. Um, and then the scene, the two scenes that I always thought are powerful is there's that stupid, he's not called Igor, he's called Fritz, I think, Fritz, in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And he's just torturing the monster with his... Yeah, with the torture, with his bullwhip. With his, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, he's just being a jerk. <laughs> and then he gets killed. I don't know why I laugh <laughs> when I say that. Ah, that guy's a jerk. He, that's what he gets. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what did you think was going to happen, dude? And then the scene with the little girl is pretty powerful, even to this day, especially when the father walks through the wedding, yeah. like Brandon was saying. And you're supposed to not question how he knows that his daughter was murdered yeah. by or a monster. think about young Frankenstein jumping on the teeter-totter or whatever it is and sending the girl through the through the roof. Young Frankenstein definitely hasn't done this movie any favors as far as... Yeah. Although Bride of Frankenstein is the one with the old hermit that... Yeah. You're so strong. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, Gene Hackman plays in the Mel Brooks one. Um, that's an example of parody completely taking something and ruin like there's no way you can ever again watch the bride of frankenstein old hermit scene without just thinking of gene hackman pouring soup on the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well what, what else we're we gonna say oh we're gonna talk about style brandon <laughs> yeah this movie has a very exaggerated like i said james whale came from theater and he's directing these people to be theatrical and no one had developed this naturalistic or so-called naturalistic style what we accept as natural i don't know whether it's actually all that much more naturalistic but there's a style that we're used to <clears> now <throat> and this movie is not that where people talk like we actually talk and so they don't they don't nobody in a movie ever talks like we talk you know what people do in real life they say um they don't talk in complete sentences they don't always have witty. well movies, depends on what movie you're watching but even a mumblecore even an indie movie we do. even on this podcast yeah we're perfect yeah nobody we're perfect on this them. podcast yeah, but I, okay, granted. I, I so it's all heightened a bit. It's all heightened a bit. It's so heightened, and especially some of these old movies that mm-hmm. I have a hard time. It's easier with comedy. Like I love bringing up Baby and stuff like that. Older. I don't love bringing up Baby. I'm the only person that doesn't love bringing up. Or the baby. Philadelphia story. I love the Philadelphia yeah. story. But. I think it, the Philadelphia story is that the one with Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Okay, that's the one I'm thinking. And of. Cary Grant. Yep. And Cary Grant. Yep. That's mm-hmm. the one I'm thinking of. Bringing up Baby. Who's in that? Uh, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn again. But not but Jimmy Stewart. Not Jimmy Stewart. Philadelphia yeah. story is the one I love. Yeah. Um. Because I'm like Jimmy Stewart, right? Also, but and that's beside the point. But in a drama, when the acting is so over the top, uh, and I understand it could just be something I haven't learned to do, but I have a dif- I have difficulty entering into the feelings of the character. Mm-hmm. It all feels hard for me to uh, relate to, right? So counterpoint, uh, there is no counterpoint. I, I agree. I, th- yeah. I think it, if you wanted to solve that problem, if it was a priority in your life to solve that problem, you just want to watch a lot of old movies. It's just like reading Victorian literature literature or reading yeah i mean i've I've come to terms with it because one of my favorite old actors is humphrey bogart Mm -hmm. and there's no one who overacts more than him right so and yet casablanca is amazing right well and you have to realize sound was new the microphones were far away from the camera they have to project like you actually couldn't they, they actually didn't have the technology to talk like real people so they are actually playing to big bulky microphones and to loud equipment 
and they are articulating their words. If you've ever wondered why people always talk like this in the old movies and they really articulate their, you know, if you've ever wondered why gangsters talk like gangsters in those old 30s pictures, it's not because everybody actually talked to that fast-paced kind of hyper-articulated way. It's because they taught actors to talk that and way. Those, and those sorts of stories, this, the moves of the story, the plot, and what's happening with the storyline actually moves you where the characters don't move you in the way that you would expect a character in like a Wes Anderson. Well, that's a bad example because he's pretty heightened. Yeah, he's pretty stylized. Uh, what's a good example of someone who's a Martin Scorsese? Sure. But he's never moved. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Would a character in a Spielberg movie might move you just because you are growing fond of that character and you can see yourself in the character in a way you don't in the old movies? Yeah. I don't see myself as right. Henry Frankenstein. Yeah. That's because he's some weird... But it works on you in diff- another way. And so you just have to learn the way the medium Yeah. Works. It's, it's... I watch an old movie like this. I watch it. I enjoy seeing what people looked like, what the fashions were like, yeah. what the music was like. You know, the fact that the movie ends and then the score goes, yeah. bum, bum, bum. And I, and I keep... Dun. People can't see me looking at Jake here because I'm trying to lay subtle arguments for the future here and that we can't always care all about the characters <laughs> sometimes we have to let other elements of the story work on us mm-hmm. and understand the the tech the uh the contraption we're dealing with did you notice my talking about you, i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> i did the same thing where i was like old movies are just like victorian yeah, novels yeah, so that's what i, I picked, picked up, up on, on both yes, yes. <laughs> so uh you know sometimes the mechanism of the art doesn't work the same way and you have to learn how it works and mm-hmm. appreciate it for what it is right yeah and you'll learn to love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gotta learn to love that Dickens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? It. We didn't say anything about Dickens. We didn't Dickens. say anything about Dickens. No. All right, guys. You ready for some donor shout outs? Jake, final thoughts on Frankenstein. James Whale's Frankenstein from Universal. It's nice to see where it all came from. I had never seen it before. Yeah. It's fun to see the, the original. It's yeah. an hour long. It's on stars. Yeah, really. There you go. And there's a seven-day free trial of stars if you oh. haven't ever done that before. I think I've already used that up, but... I used it up for this. There you go. You can them. watch some Spider-Man Homecoming and while you're at it. And... I can watch Spider-Man Homecoming. I can also watch... Uh, Independence Day. Independence Day and Bela Lugosi's Dracula and every Frankenstein movie ever. Yeah. Well, if people want to know, Frankenstein's the one to watch for historical interest. Bride of Frankenstein's the true classic. Son of Frankenstein's a lot of fun. Actually, it's got, uh, what's his name? He played Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Basil Rathbone plays the doctor in that one. Bela Lugosi plays Igor, the mad assistant. And it's just a fun movie. And that has the guy that was that Mel Brooks famously spoofed in Young Frankenstein, the police captain with the wooden arm that he sticks the darts in. And you'd be shocked you would be shocked how unexaggerated the Mel Brooks version is. Like he's he's basically just doing the exact same thing that the guy in Son of Frankenstein Riot did. He's <laughs> a horrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't got no body and nobody got me. All right, let's do another twenty minutes of donor shoutouts, guys. Yeah, let's do it. All Yeehaw. Right. Brennan, uh-huh. you shout him out. Yeah. And Jake. Make Frankenstein noises. Make Frankenstein noises, sure. Okay. <laughs> so we've got the very mortal Mason. The very mortal Mason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like Chewbacca and Frankenstein <laughs> might have had a baby. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome, Mor- very mortal Mason. And welcome back, immortal Chelsea E. Immortal Chelsea E. Huh. <laughs> 
Nathan, not me. Nathan, not Nathan. Mm. There we go. That's like a hungry Frankenstein. Yummy. Yummy. <laughs> Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Good. Uh, Lily of the Valley? Lily of the Valley. Friend. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, and little baby Timothy. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, and little baby Timothy. Bad. The inscrutable Jenny Z. Inscrutable Jenny Z. (laughs) 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 Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. What are other words that he says? Fire. (laughs) Friend, good. Friend, good. John and Jill and little baby Max. John and Jill and little baby Max. Fire. Bad. Mm-hmm. The Keith Master. The Keith Master. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing. He yeah. was playing with with the with the, the little girl. The About girl. to throw her in the water. Yeah. yeah. Brandon, if for all your transportation needs from let's say you needed to transport something from Bavaria to Transylvania all the yeah. way to Count Dracula's track, you had to yeah. transport some coffins filled with dirt from yep. Count Dracula's track. Dracula. <laughs> From Count Dracula's cast, castle. Count yep. Dracula's. So let's say I had to do this. Yeah. You had a common trans- problem. You had a, well, the very problem that Mr. Jonathan Harker had, he needed to keep them safe from the wolves. Yeah. And you had to transport them from Castle Dracula all the way to London. What would you do? I think I'd hire David's Mighty Men Trekking. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how yep. they're going to get across the water, but they'd figure it out. They could figure it out. Yeah. Dracula can't cross running water anyway. Lots but of floats. Yeah. Lots of floats. It floats. Got to be a way. Yeah. It, it's, uh, Trucks yeah. will find a way. Trucks will find a way. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of David's Mighty Men Trucking. Yeah. David's Mighty Men Trucking. David's Mighty Men Trucking. <laughs> My beloved mother, Beth. Nathan's beloved mother, Beth. <laughs> My Rockin' Ronnie and Judge Judith. Rockin' Ronnie and Judge Judith. Yeah, she doesn't want to be Judge Judith. <laughs> uh, Rockin' <laughs> Ronnie's not bad. Rockin' Ronnie? Oh, sorry. It's not even Ronnie. I apologize. I'm, I'm sorry. Are these new? Yeah, no. They've been around for a while, but I haven't come up with a good name for them that I'm happy with. Rockin' Ryan. Rockin' and Ryan? What's a good J adjective? Jammin'? Yeah, there we go. Rockin' Ryan and Jammin' jo- Judith. Rockin' Ryan and Jammin' Judith. I need another word that he says. You stay. Drink. 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 Dipper, dipper. <laughs> Jerry Cooper. Um, <laughs> Danny the Dude. Danny the Dude. Drink. Good. <laughs> uh, DJ Sammy G. DJ Sammy G. Eat. Yep. 
our good friends, <laughs> our good friends, Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese. Hey, Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese. And Phoebe and Junia and Trey. And Phoebe and Junia and Trey and the dog. And the dog. And oh, their little dog, too. And their little dog, too. A <laughs> 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 little dog, too. See? <laughs> Cheese. Good. Yeah, Cold. Good. Bad. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Benny so, T. Benny and Dana. Benny T. And Dana. The inscrutable Benny T. Whoa. Cheese. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Eric. Eric. And Catherine the Lovebirds. And Catherine the Lovebirds. Mm. We've got 20 of these now, man. Have you been counting? No, we're close to 20. Professor X and Lady X. Professor X and Lady X. I've got nothing. It's the silence of death. Burned alive in that. Make woman. Make <laughs> 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 me a woman. <laughs> We've got 19. Unless my skills at counting deceive me. All right. Well, um, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Brennan, I should ask. Do you give the looking seal the lsoa to frankenstein yeah it's fun jake lsa lsoa to frankenstein yeah sure it's uh, one of those things that's you wondered where all that stuff came from this is where it came from you could it only takes you an hour wouldn't, wouldn't hurt you too badly if you're if you have any interest in it you might as well i suppose back to back it with bride of frankenstein and fall asleep during bride of frankenstein like i did you will have seen all the frankenstein movies you need to see as far as i'm concerned not the kenneth brand all one no don't watch the kenneth brand this is going to be our last word on frankenstein i guess this is our last episode on frankenstein so let me just say don't watch the kenneth brand on one you don't really need to watch any of the hammer horror ones i don't think so although 1970s yeah the the old frank um stuff with peter cushing although i like peter cushing he played a good villain in rogue one with his computer generated reanimated form yeah really your best frankenstein bet's gonna be the original or monster squad it's kind of fun probably can't i don't know it's probably got something bad that i don't remember but monster squad was is a fun movie that's my that's my recollection i thought it was fun as a kid yeah if it has something bad that I don't remember, then I take no responsibility for oh, it. Oh, it's, you wouldn't want to, don't think you'd want to show it to your kids. Probably not. But there you go. It's like the Goonies meet the monsters. Thanks. That was it. The Goonies meet the monsters. That was probably. by Shane Black and Fred Decker. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. today was written and produced by people and performed by nathan jake and brandon executive produced as all fine warhorn products are by nathan alberson jacob mensel hey support us on patreon what are you waiting for go to patreon.com forward slash the bookening fun fact if you go to patreon right now and you're a supporter there is bonus material that we just posted there's bonus material 17 minutes of it 17 minutes a completely false start you heard brandon mention cheetos in today's episode well if you wanted to hear a lot more about cheetos if you want to we talk about cheetos basically for 17 minutes while pretending like this is somehow going to be part of an actual episode if you've ever been like oh boy Nathan never cuts out anything. If you've ever had that nasty thought while listening to like, oh boy, come on, you should listen to this and realize I, I 
have standards. There are things that don't always make it in, and this is one of them. And it's a lot of fun, and I like it. But some of it's so good, it has to be encapsulated in this gold space. Yeah, just for Patreon supporters. So go there and uh, do that. Eat My wife cheese. was li- listening to it and just laughing. So yeah, it's fun. I like it. So yeah, you can go listen to that right now. I recommend it. You can do that for just about any reward level. I think the lowest to the highest, you'll get that. So the reward level you want is at least ten dollars. So we'll give you a great donor shout out. Yep. Um, ten dollars, fifty dollars gets you a book. Fifty dollars gets a book. So those are the those are really popular ones. Yeah. And twenty five dollars gets you a t shirt. We need to get cracking on that. Yes, we do. We do. We will. So if, if by the way, if you're out there and you like the shirts, then you know. Give us some more suggestions because the the time of the t-shirt draws nigh. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. 